Matthew chapter 27. Tonight we come to the end of our time in the Gospel of Matthew. We considered chapter 28 um, several weeks ago, and so we are going to end here on chapter 27. As Matthew tells us about the cross of our Savior. Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to begin reading in verse 24 and read through verse 54. But understand the context. As we learned last week, Jesus uh, was arrested uh, by the Jewish officials, the Jewish leaders. They took him to the house of the high priest. They put him on trial there. Uh, they convicted him of blasphemy. And, but they were powerless uh, to do anything violent outside of the approval of the Roman Empire. And so, in chapter 27, they take him to the court of Pilate, a Roman uh, leader, government official, and he is put on trial. Uh, Pilate says he's guilty, but he doesn't want to create a stir, and he doesn't want to have a riot on his hand. And so he washes his hand, and he gives uh, Jesus over um, to be crucified. And so I'm going to begin uh, with that context uh, reading. In verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled the man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, He would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. If he trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. 
From the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us that we come to the crucifixion of your son Jesus, our King and our Savior, and there are depths here that we can't even begin to grasp. And so as we spend some time considering this story, these words, that you have given us by your Spirit, we ask for the help of your Spirit, that he would open us to receive the work of the cross, to receive the message of the cross, and to be changed by it, to be lifted up out of our sin and into the life that comes from you. pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago I was in Panera, doing a little sermon prep work, which I do from time to time, and uh, I needed to get recharged with uh, my supply of caffeine, and uh, so my cup that was almost empty uh, was sitting there on the table, and it was the afternoon, so my caffeine supply was coming by iced tea rather than coffee, and so uh, I was going to go get some more, and I reached for my cup and grabbed the edge of it, but it slipped and it spilled, the remaining ice and liquid spilled all over the table and onto the floor. And as I suppressed the inappropriate language that I wanted to say <laughs> and began to clean up the mess that I had made, I heard laughter. And I glanced around me and I saw a table of tyrants, I mean teenagers, um, <laughs> sitting and laughing at me. And they were trying to conceal it. But they, you know, it's that when you're trying to conceal it, you can't stop it. And they were laughing at me because I had spilled my drink. And I felt heat begin to creep up my neck and into my ears. And not the heat of anger, but the heat of embarrassment. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a pasty white man. And so when I get embarrassed, it is very visible, which just compounds my embarrassment, and my ears glow like Rudolph's nose. <laughs> and I felt for just a moment a twinge 
of shame. A desire to disappear because of what I had done. Ed Welch, who is a Christian counselor and teacher, defines shame as the sense that you are unacceptable because of something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. And shame is a universal experience. Everyone in this room knows it. Whether in very, very mild forms like spilling a drink at a restaurant, uh, to experiences that are almost unspeakable. Experiences that communicate to us that we are trash. That needs to be discarded. Death by crucifixion was designed not simply for physical torture. In fact, there were more torturous ways to die. Death by crucifixion was engineered for maximum shame. It was a process that was designed to communicate this person is trash. They are unacceptable to the community, and from the Jewish perspective, they are unacceptable to God. And you can see that Matthew emphasizes this element of the crucifixion in his account in chapter 27. You notice he doesn't tell us much about the physical pain that Jesus endured. He says very little about it. But he piles on words and actions coming from political leaders, coming from religious leaders, coming from the crowds around Jesus, the soldiers, the people who were being crucified with Jesus, the people who were just walking by on the street. Words and actions that were intended to bury Jesus in disgrace, in shame. So two questions. Why? Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus is innocent, but that Jesus also, by divine design, has chosen this experience. Why? Being innocent, does he embrace this experience of shame? And then secondly, how do we respond to what he's done? So first of all, why? As Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying... He sings a song. Uh, He sings a song that we find in Psalm 22. And it was a song for the king of Israel. And it was a song about the apparent failure of God's promises to his people. So God had said to his people, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to renew the world through you. And my king, my chosen king, will lead that endeavor. But over and over again through the story of Scripture, the wheels seem to fall off that project. God's guarantees to his people seem to fail. And so the king, as not only the ruler of God's people, but the representative of God's people before God, says, God, why have you left us? We are experiencing defeat by our enemies. We are 
experiencing disease. We are experiencing famine. God, where are you? Why have you left us? And Jesus goes to the cross in order to enter that narrative. In order to join that song of the experience of apparent rejection by God. But notice what happens before Jesus cries out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in verse 46. But what happens in verse 45? What does Matthew tell us? He says that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, darkness descends on the area. And darkness in Scripture is almost always an indicator of judgment, of God's judgment on someone. So in the story of him rescuing Israel from Egypt, God judges Egypt. And he judges the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh, because Pharaoh has refused to do what God asked him to do. And he judges him with a series of plagues. And what are the last two plagues? Darkness and death of the firstborn son. Notice the sequence here in Matthew 27. Darkness, death of the son. And what Matthew is communicating is that Jesus not only sings the song of rejection by God, but he sings the song of those who have been rejected by God because they have rejected God. He sings the song of those who are under the judgment of God, who are in darkness because they have refused God. They have pushed Him away. And that is true not only of ancient Egypt. It was true of Israel. It was true of Israel's king. And it's true not only of Israel and Israel's kings, but it is true of us. It's true of me, and it's true of you. And so Jesus goes to the cross in order to sing of our rejection because of our rebellion. So imagine a stage, a spotlight, and a microphone. And you are compelled to walk onto that stage step into the light of the spotlight, take the microphone, and sing a song that confesses every reason that you are unacceptable. Every experience, every sin, every way in which you have been sinned against that gives you the sense that you are unacceptable. Jesus goes to the cross so that he can climb the steps to that stage. So he can push us out of the way so that he can step into the spotlight, take the microphone, and sing our shame. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He sings for us. He sings because Will you loosen your grip on the microphone? 
Now that is not the end of the answer to why Jesus embraced the experience of shame on the cross. That is good news and it is comforting, but that's not all. There's more. Because Matthew, in verses 51 to 53, uh, gives us two events that happen as a result of the death of Jesus. Okay, He says, first of all, that in the temple in Jerusalem, a curtain is ripped from top to bottom. And so understand, in the temple there was a room, it was called the Holy of Holies, and it was the focus of God's presence. And God's presence was protected by this curtain. This curtain that was made to look like the sky. It was designed to look like the sky, because in the Jewish imagination, the sky is the barrier between heaven and earth between God's throne and his creation. And so that curtain is ripped from top to bottom. It's the first event. Second event, earthquake, ground breaks open, graves open up, and dead people come to life. And there's some mystery here as to what exactly is going on. But what Matthew wants us to see clearly is that this is an anticipation of the resurrection of Jesus, And it is an expression of the truth that those who belong to him will be resurrected with him. So this event anticipates the resurrection, both Jesus's and ours. So understand, Jesus went to the cross in order to open two doors. He opens the door that separates us from the presence of and the reign of God. He opens the door between heaven and earth. We've seen this theme all throughout this gospel. Jesus says, I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven so that heaven's rule, heaven's reign, would break in to God's creation, would break in to earth. And Jesus, as he dies, he opens that door so that those who belong to him can be acceptable in the presence of God, and so that God's rule and reign can come into their lives and into their world. And in Scripture, our separation from God, that separation between heaven and earth, results in death. And so as Jesus opens that door between heaven and earth, he opens another door, the door between death and life. And he opens the way for resurrection. So that as heaven's throne, rule, and reign come into our lives and world, it brings life. It brings restoration. It brings renewal. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross not only to endure our shame, but to overcome our shame. And he overcomes it by shattering the barriers that our shame creates. The barrier between us and God and the barrier between us and life. The life that God designed for us when He made us and when He made this world. Jesus becomes the no of God to sin, to rebellion, to rejection of Him. So that 
he can become the yes of God that welcomes us into his presence, into his life, into his kingdom, into his intention for us. So, will you hear the yes of the cross? Will you hear not only that Jesus bore your shame, but he overcame it? So that you could be welcomed to the family, to the table, to the house, and to the life of God. And that raises our second major question. If we hear that yes, how do we respond to it? How do we respond to the yes of God through Jesus on the cross? Well, as we read chapter 27 of Matthew, we should hear the words of Jesus echoing in our ears that he says earlier in the gospel when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So Jesus here gives us something of a pattern. Not that we can accomplish redemption by imitating him, but that we can reflect the redemption that he has accomplished in the way that we sacrificially love each other and love our neighbors. We are called to live in imitation of what Jesus does here, that we would love in this way. But it's interesting in this chapter. There is... One person who bears the cross of Jesus, right? And it's not the disciples of Jesus. They have all run and betrayed him. No, it's this man who is perhaps ironically named Simon, because Simon was the name of the supposed lead disciple of Jesus, right? But here's another Simon who is forced to take up the cross of Jesus. And it's as if Matthew wants us to see, yes, we are called to imitate Jesus, his sacrificial love. But, remember again the failure of the disciples. Remember your weakness. Remember how the church so often fails in that mission. And by doing that, Matthew points us and he pushes us to a deeper and more fundamental and more basic response to what Jesus does here. Psalm 22, I mentioned earlier, Jesus sings at the cross. It's a song that begins talking about rejection and failure. But it doesn't stop there. It moves on to the expectation that God will rescue His people and rescue His King. And it doesn't stop there. It moves on to worship. It moves on to worship of God, and not only by the king, and not only by the nation of Israel, but worship by all nations. Listen to a couple verses from this psalm. These are verses 27 and 28 from Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nation. Now think about what happens in Matthew 27. Jesus on the cross 
cries out the first part of Psalm 22. Rejection. Seeming failure. But then what do we have? We have the signs of rescue. Right? The curtain is torn. There is resurrection. There is new life. And then what happens? Verse 54. The nations worship as a result of what Jesus has done. These Roman soldiers who just a few verses before had dressed Jesus up like a clown and mocked Him for claiming to be the King of the Jews now stand at His cross in awe and say, This is the Son of God. Our response to Jesus and what He has done is worship. And it's interesting, these centurions, these soldiers are not the first Gentiles to worship in the Gospel of Matthew. This is a chorus that's been building throughout the whole book. It starts in chapter 2, when these Gentile wise men come from the east, and they come and they lay their gifts at the foot of a Jewish boy, and they worship. And that chorus builds throughout the gospel of Gentiles who are supposed to be outside the boundaries of God's blessing, realizing who Jesus is, believing in Him, and worshiping. And it builds to this point where these soldiers say truly He was the Son of God. And it goes beyond it to chapter 28. Jesus sends His disciples to all nations to gather worshipers, to gather those who will celebrate the kingship of Jesus and the life that comes from it. And our response to Jesus as He sings our shame is to join that chorus. To stand in awe at what He has done and to sing His glory. He sings our shame and we sing His glory. My wife Jess has a friend who has a son who is a prodigy at the piano. Absolutely amazing. And we, uh, a while ago, were watching a video of him performing. He was performing a Bach fugue or something like that. And, and Jess and I immediately went into analysis mode. Uh, as musicians, we were paying attention to his technique and what he was doing and how impressive it was. And so we were analyzing what he was doing. We were analyzing this piece of music. And as we did that, I heard laughter. And I looked up, and our kids were not analyzing. They were dancing. They didn't stand outside of this piece of music, this performance, and pick it apart and look at its technique. They found a way to be a part of it. They found a way to join the music that they were hearing. So we read... Matthew 27, as we hear about the cross of our Savior, can we not just stand outside and analyze? Can we find a way to enter 
the music of what happens here. It's not to be anti-intellectual. It's not to say that we should not have thoughtful consideration as we approach Scripture, as we approach this chapter. It is just that our thoughtful consideration must lead us to awe. It must lead us to wonder who Jesus is and what He has done. There is one thing that I want for myself, for you, for us as a result of considering the Gospel of Matthew together over this year. It is astonishing. It is to look at the cross of Jesus and ask God to cultivate in us not only an understanding, but a wonder at what He has done. So that we could join the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament when he says, God forbid that I should boast, that I should glory in anything Accept the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. When I spilled my drink at Panera and felt embarrassed, it reminded me of a talk that I had heard uh, by a social uh, psychology researcher. And her area of research was in the area of shame and the role that it plays in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, and in our communities. And much of her presentation was very insightful and resonated with what the Bible has to say about it. But she came to the end of her talk and she said the antidote, the way to deal with shame was to show up in our lives and to say, I am enough. That is not the message of the cross. The message of the cross in the face of human shame is that we would show up in our lives and sing, He is enough. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would strip away our familiarity with the story of Matthew 27, the image of Jesus hanging on a cross. And I ask that you would awaken in our hearts wonder, astonishment, awe at what you have done in order to bring heaven into earth, in order to bring us life, in order to overcome the shame that our sin has caused. I pray that you would make that a reality in our lives as individuals. But I also ask that for center point. Father, would you make us a community that if we have one characteristic, it is the characteristic of being overwhelmed by the goodness and the power and the wisdom of what you have done through Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would worship that worship would lead us out into lives of love. 
that do reflect the cross of our Savior. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>